Welcome to What Has My Attention, and this is John Beethan. We are back today with Audrey, Lisa, and Patty. We decided to continue the conversation from episode 43, Redefining Humaning, and talk about service and success and how you can have both as you service those who love what you do. So let me pull something out of the conversation from Patty, a little teaser which had my attention, so you can decide if you'd like to stick around for the full conversation. And of course, episode notes include links to several books mentioned and past episodes as well. It is, and there are two things that come to mind as you're describing this. Um, So Audrey, first to your point, making more money The real distinction, and this also came out in my research, is about being a breadwinner. Because most of us were not raised to be the primary source of income for our families. Some of us were forced into that. I was. And I always knew I would have a career and I've always been entrepreneurial. And all of that felt fine, but I'm also responsible having and raising children and running a household and everything else, you know, and helping my parents, interacting with my siblings. So there's a lot of family responsibility that most women have and were not raised as breadwinners, whereas my two brothers were. And there was actually a lot of pressure put on them to be high achieving and to be the breadwinners for their family. I have become the breadwinner And so some women have that responsibility and some do not. For those that do not have that responsibility, you might think that it's easier for them to run their businesses and not feel so pressured because they have a second income. And it's interesting because I don't find that. We as women feel just as pressured, whether, and part of that is the high achieving. We feel just as pressured whether we're relying on that revenue for our primary income or we're not. And that comes internally as well. So I think that's an important part of what you were describing, Audrey. And the second thing I wanted to mention is, Lisa, you were talking about servant leadership and when you are taking care of yourself. And you used a term that I wanted to highlight, and that is charging what you're worth. And I take exception to that, and it's such a common thing for people to say. You should charge what you're worth. And my belief, my sincere belief, it's not about what you're worth. And the value that you bring to your clients, all of the people that I work with are providing transformational services. And I don't I don't want to link the value of what you're providing with your worth or your value as a human. So I make that distinction in my messaging and when I'm talking about this because I think it's so important for that to be brought to our awareness. It's not about what you're worth. You are a worthwhile, valuable human. And the services that you provide may change over time. And the value may increase because you become more experienced. So all of that is really positive, but it has nothing to do with how you price your services. And again, your worth as a person. So it's really understanding how you're building value in the mind of your buyer and how you're helping them understand the value and the transformation that you bring. Welcome to another edition of Women in Strong Leadership. And my name is John Beethan from What Has My Attention, where I dedicate a lot of my time to elevate women's voices to be heard. And this particular series is Women in Strong Leadership. But the first thing I wanted to do is, before everybody goes through their intros, because we'll do this every time, is I want to go through the history, because it's really kind of fun. Actually, Lisa was the beginning troublemaker of this whole business. Because April 29th, we released episode 20, Women in Strong Leadership, featuring Lisa Pachence. And then Lisa and I and Jess Lilly did an episode, June 17th, episode 25, titled Leading from Love. 
And then I've done episodes with Audrey and Patty, of course. But um, December 6th, we released episode 38 titled Leadership, Collaboration, and What's Next. And that was the first time the four of us were together, which was awesome. And then we decided, we're just going to keep this party going. <laughs> and then so February 1st, we released episode 43 titled Redefining Humaning. And at the end of that episode, we had a lot of fun figuring out where we were going to go next. This episode is service and success, how to have both. So who wants to go first? Introducing yourself. I'm happy Patty. to. Oh, oh you're <laughs> electing me. Let's all do it at the same time, why not? <laughs> I think Patty just got universally elected, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah I probably, Patty huh? go first. I'm Patty Block. When I was growing up, my mom made these fabulous cookies. The whole house smelled good. It was warm. The cookies were gooey. And all my life, I watched my mom eat the broken cookies. But it wasn't until I was a teenager that I even thought to ask her, why do you only eat the broken cookies? Do they taste better? And she laughed and said, no, I eat the broken cookies so you can have the whole ones. And several years ago, I saw this really startling statistic. 62% of women rely on their business for their primary income. And 88% of these companies earn less than $100,000 a year. And I started connecting the dots and trying to figure out, in all the years that I've worked with women business owners, helping them grow and scale their companies, why is it that women are having trouble really putting all of those things in place to grow the companies in the way that aligns with their values and that is meaningful to them. And through research and working with a lot of women business owners, I was able to bring to them ways to generate more revenue with less stress and to approach their business differently so it's so much less painful. Your business does not have to be a burden. Thank you. Thank you. I love, I, you know, I, I love it. I, I'm this weekend going to go be looking for a cookie jar. It's such a visceral introduction too. I want to, I, I want a cookie as you're explaining it. It's so good. <laughs> and you want a whole cookie, right? You're like wanting the whole cookie. I don't, I don't know. I'm moving from the, like the broken pieces to a whole cookie, you know, every time Patty goes through it. <laughs> so well, and that's the whole idea is changing your mindset and helping you understand you can have the whole cookie and bringing that spirit of self-sacrifice into our businesses is really working against us. And I call that the broken cookie effect. That's so good. Audrey, do you wanna go next? Sure, I am Audrey Holst. I am the founder of Fortitude and Flow and I'm the creator of the Perfectionist Archetypes. And I help high performers and high achievers who are done micromanaging their lives with perfectionism to actually start living their lives. Uh, and this is something that I do through a lot of embodied practices. I have 16 years of experience with mindfulness and movement, yoga, meditation, the nervous system. And I see perfectionism as less of a mindset uh, problem, I'll put problem in quotes, and more of an embodied uh, wiring in the nervous system. So I approach perfectionism from the perspective of how we've survived and how that can be shifted and people can change their orientation to uh, thriving even under high pressure and starting to get underneath those really impossible standards that perfectionism creates for people. And your perfectionism archetype is amazing. It is a, an amazing creation. So smart. Well, that leaves me. So I am Lisa Bachense. I am a master certified coach and an, an executive life coach to underfulfilled, high achieving, big hearted women. And um, I got into this work because I was one of those. I was underfulfilled, high achieving, and I kept hitting my own glass ceiling over and over and over again. And coaching was one of those things that managed to um, managed to support me to succeed and have satisfaction at the same time. And human beings just suck at being able to have both, especially women. I'm also on a mission to bring together 
change makers and servant leaders, and a lot of which are women. So what I found in the coaching community and in the leadership community for those who are who consider themselves change agents and, and servant leaders is that there's really two big problems. And um, the first problem is that there is a massive amount of burnout, especially for servant leaders and women. And it's interesting because one of the biggest reasons for burnout is loneliness, getting under-supported. Harvard Business Review did a, did a, uh, a study back in 2015 that said that was the number one reason for burnout in entrepreneurs. And then the second thing is that servant leaders are terribly undersupported when it comes to building out their businesses and being paid what they're worth. And Patty talked to this. She is the, the mistress, should I say, the empress of this arena in supporting women to make the money that they're owed. Um, I tend to focus on the coaches arena and the numbers are absolutely staggering for coaches. Most coaches who go through a training program never start their businesses. 82% of coaches who do start their businesses end up closing their doors completely after two years. And those who do continue make on average $34,000 a year. And that is, that is just completely unacceptable in my mind. And, and this is a $2.8 billion industry. So part of my mission in supporting unfulfilled, high-achieving, uh, big-hearted leaders is making sure that they are taking care of themselves, that they are breaking that cycle of burnout, and that they are um, they are asking for what they're worth and they're making the change that they want while living big lives. And that brings us to today. And do you remember how we arrived at service and success, how to have both? I think that came from, so this is Patty, I think that came from a comment that I had made, that in my research, one of the things that kept coming up was this comment about, I don't want to raise my prices because I want to serve as many people as possible. I want to serve others. And there's this misunderstanding, thinking we can't do both. And actually, I believe that when you earn more money, you can serve others better. You have less stress that you're dealing with, certainly less financial stress. And you can then select the people you want to work with. And if you want to work with people who perhaps they can't afford you, or they're in a, uh, maybe they're a startup business, you have the opportunity to do that either at a lower cost or pro bono, if you choose to. You know, a lot of people work with nonprofit organizations and don't charge them, and they do it as an in-kind donation. Well, you have that ability to make those choices if you're bringing in the level of revenue that you need to sustain your company, your staff, your lifestyle, and it just takes all that stress away. So I think that's where the title came from, was that point that I made. That's great. So just so you know, I'm going to let you all um, do your thing. I'm going to stop my camp. Yeah, I'm going to stop my camp. I'll still be here. All right. <laughs> but uh, lurking in the background, lurking in the <laughs> background, <laughs> but not doing anything else. Because as we all know, multitasking is doing two things badly. Well, thank you for being of service and being yeah. successful at it. I'm so um, happy to present you. Thank you. Um, I'm really excited about this topic. I can talk about it for a really long time and get I, super passionate about it. So I'm hoping to keep it succinct. Did you have something, Audrey? Yeah, Lisa. So I'm curious about the um, the terminology. And I think this is probably going to tie into this conversation, servant leaders, because I um, <laughs> I think John's mic might still be on. <laughs> um, delicious sounding. <laughs> It's so delicious. It's like refreshing. Um, it, it, it was champagne. <laughs> and I'm sorry. <laughs> that he's pouring champagne. <laughs> that was awesome. Perfect moment, John. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the term servant leaders, because I imagine that, that that's a term that's 
I'm not familiar with. And I imagine other people listening may need context for that also. And I'm curious if that ties into this, this conversation. Oh, 100%. And thanks for asking. I've been playing around with using the phrase servant leadership in my introduction and in my everyday speaking, because some people really know it and get it and some people don't. But servant leadership is the idea that you are you are a person that is mission focused, that is service focused, and you, you lead that mission, well, by leading. You, you are serving that mission by leading, by putting yourself in a position of leadership so as to serve others, so as to make an impact. Um, I relate to social workers, those in uh, spiritual leadership roles, coaches, uh, some consultants, uh, people that go into a realm, those in nonprofits, nonprofits is full of people who relate to themselves as servant leaders. But um, I think that it is very individualized. And what oftentimes happens in those who relate to themselves as leading so as to serve others is that there's a martyrdom complex that comes along with it. This idea mm -hmm. that you have to pour out and drain yourself and burn yourself out. And only then can you support yourself and nourish yourself. And it's this terrible burnout cycle. Um, in fact, I've, I've been recently going through the book Burnout um, by the Na Nagoski. Emily Nagoski. Yeah, Emily yes. and her sister, Amelia Nagoski. Mm -hmm. Amazing, amazing book. And they, they go really deep into the cultural significance of women being those that suffer most from burnout because they are the providers. They are those who serve other human beings. They are the conduit for others who then go on to do this stuff. And it's it's like a biological thing. It's a cultural thing. It's an economic thing that more so women than men, although some men do, end up not being able to be of service and be successful at the same time. So I'm just really high on the supply of Patty, to your point, being able to see yourself as just as important of a conduit as the things that you do. Because if you are not pouring in, you cannot give what you don't have and you will eventually burn out. And then how are you going to be able to help others? Totally, totally. As a as a sort of side note, but I think also related. So Emily Nagoski, uh, the book that I, how I first discovered her was she wrote a book called Come As You Are. Yes. Um, which if you're familiar with is, is around women's sexuality. Mm -hmm. And that was actually my first introduction to the concept of, uh, how the nervous system informs basically everything we do. Mm. Right. That was like my first introduction. I remember there's a, I can tell you like where in the book, there's this whole section on completing stress loops. Um, and that was like my first, huh, this is, this makes so much sense. And so, um, like how I'm relating to this conversation too is like how like you're talking about the the wiring the actual physiological wiring that we have towards an orientation that we have towards being certain ways in our lives in society um, explicitly implicitly um, and and understanding that um, and I think that sometimes people and women especially can get it becomes this sort of like self battle, right? Where it's like, well, I should be something different, but I feel differently. And I, I want to do this, but like, I feel, you know, and so it's kind of this, this intellectual and physical battle that sort of goes on. Um, and, and I, it's normal. That's like kind of what I want to say is just, it's normal when you, when you look at it from the, how we're wired, how our bodies are wired and even our, our histories, right? Um, the women that came before us are familial histories. And a lot of, um, Patty, probably also what you're saying, like, there's a lot of us who's, you know, in our ancestry, women have not made money the way that the men in the in our ancestries have made money. So there's there's this kind of generational change that's happening also. So um, I just want to like validate if people are struggling with this and are are kind of in that. I want to make more money. Like I want to make more money, but it feels wrong in some capacity. That makes complete sense. If people listening out there, if you want to have a breakthrough in your own money context, especially if you're a female, I highly recommend the book, Overcoming Underearning. Have you heard of that, Audrey? Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's on my shelf. <laughs> oh, it's 
so good. It is so it is specifically geared towards women. And Barbara Stanley, is that correct? Barbara Stanley, yeah. And this um, historic historic issue that women have in um, in being successful because of how much we've been suppressed in our own powers, um, intentionally and unintentionally in, in our cultural history. So she unravels that, that mystery and has uh, the reader go through the steps of your own family conditioning and where do those thoughts and beliefs come from? And now, okay, so they're not actually yours. They're someone else's that have been handed down. So create your own and it will be difficult, but the amount of money that you cannot get past making is your own glass ceiling. It all starts with the inner work. And then once you're able to break out of that, we can have these conversations about, hey, instead of serving by you know, working with everyone and doing pro bono work and having sliding scales and stuff, why don't you charge what you believe you're worth, challenge yourself, and then build out your company so that you can provide things like scholarship spots, a membership community, ways to access you that are much more affordable, that work for everyone. Yeah, Patty, I imagine this is like right up your alley. Oh, yeah. It is. And there are two things that come to mind as you're describing this. Um, so Audrey, first to your point, making more money, the real distinction, and this also came out in my research, is about being a breadwinner. Because mm -hmm. most of us were not raised to be the primary source of income for our families. Some of us were forced into that. I was. And I always knew I would have a career and I always, I've always been entrepreneurial and all of that felt fine, but I'm also responsible for having and raising children and running a household and everything else, you know, right. and helping my parents, interacting with my siblings. So there's a lot of family responsibility that most women have and were not raised as breadwinners. Right. Whereas my two brothers were, and there was actually a lot of pressure put on them to be high achieving and to be the breadwinners for their family. I have become the breadwinner. And so some women have that responsibility and some do not. For those that do not have that responsibility, you might think that it's easier for them to run their businesses and not feel so pressured because they have a second income. And it's interesting because I don't find that. We as women feel just as pressured, whether, and part of that is the high achieving. We feel just as pressured whether we're relying on that revenue for our primary income or we're not. And that comes internally as well. So I think that's an important part of what you were describing, Audrey. And the second thing I wanted to mention is Lisa, you were talking about servant leadership and when you are taking care of yourself and you used a term that I wanted to highlight and that is charging what you're worth. And I take exception to that and it's such a common thing for people to say, you should charge what you're worth. And my belief, my sincere belief, it's not about what you're worth. And the value that you bring to your clients all of the people that I work with are providing transformational services. And I don't, I don't want to link the value of what you're providing with your worth or your value as a human. So I make that distinction in my messaging and when I'm talking about this, because I think it's so important for that to be brought to our awareness it's not about what you're worth. You are a worthwhile, valuable human. And the services that you provide may change over time. And the value may increase because you become more experienced. So all of that is really positive, but it has nothing to do with how you price your services. And again, your worth as a person. So it's really understanding how you're building value in the mind of your buyer and how you're helping them understand the value and the transformation that you bring. 
I think I think you're starting to draw out even more around this, Patty, the concept of service and success and them feeling like mutually exclusive things. Um, it's kind of like a you can either do good or you can make money. And I guess I'm equating right. I'm equating in this conversation success with your business making money. Right. Maybe, or but maybe that's not that's the other conversation, right? Is what is success? What does that actually mean? What does that look like? Um, and I think that that is a big piece of it, which I, I realize that I think each of us do in our own ways is, is creating a little bit of distance between your productivity and what you're putting out in the world and like who you are as a person, right? Like, I think that that is something that, um, you know, based on Lisa, what you're doing with the burnout and that sort of piece, right? And, and having that self-connection and the same thing, Patty, like talking with people about their finance, getting their finances in order and making money and, and again, creating that separation between who you are as a person, the same thing with perfectionism, right? I'm creating that distance between the perception of who we think we need to be and like who we actually are and, and creating some space so we can actually make different decisions. I think that that's a, that is a big piece of this conversation is, is creating some distance and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm curious to see what, what you both have to, what you both think about that. Can you say more about creating distance between the two? Yeah. So this is something that's really, um, so when I, when I talk about stuff, um, it always comes from an embodied perspective, right? I, the way I experience the world and the way that I teach is from how is it to be me moving through the world in my, in my physical body. Right. And I find this with clients also that, um, when we use the term like boundaries, right? Like having boundaries, uh, it goes beyond this concept of boundaries. There's actually this physical feeling sometimes that when we're with other people, it's like we lose ourselves. We lose the the feeling of like our physical self versus somebody else. And this is something I've, that I've observed with myself. Like if I'm really with you, Patty, and I'm really with you, Lisa, I can almost lose myself. I start to lose my own edges and I start to sort of like be in your world and really get your vibe and your energy, but I'm losing what it means and to have my edges and my boundaries. So um, what I mean by distance is like I, I, with a lot of the practices that I teach people is it's keeping them so clear about their own physical body, their own physical edges and fit and feeling and figuring out what is theirs and what is out here that it helps them to discern okay, like I'm feeling a certain way about this thing, but it doesn't mean what I mean to be taken, right? Because I feel this, it means there's a lot of that that happens with perfectionism because it, or I don't want to, if I feel that it means, right? So it's just creating like a, it's almost when I, when I talk about a distance, it's for me, it feels like a physical distance between myself and another object. It's like myself and a goal or myself and the money. Um, so I'm keeping myself as my own, sovereign human being in relationship to other things and people and, and money, if that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. The thing that um, resonates with me is the, is this idea of empathy mm. and taking on other people's energies. And I think that those who tend to be or want to be of service, want to make a difference, um, have really big hearts tend to be very empathetic. Like you don't, you don't become a coach in order to make money. Usually <laughs> you become a coach or you go into nonprofits or you start a business usually in order to make a difference some way. And usually those individuals I see have some form of, of um, an empathetic energy. Uh, I know I do. In growing up, I had so much energy and so much empathy. And I was just like this big, bright, ball of energy and people didn't know what to do with me. And so I ended up going through this evolution where I completely suppressed my personality because I felt like I was too much. And then I couldn't understand how to, how, how to empathize from that place. I lost the ability to empathize. And then I started regaining it. And um, when I became a coach, I struggled exactly with that. I struggled with those boundaries of how do I, how do I give and how do I really understand and connect with other people while still maintaining um, myself, my identities, my values. Um, people pleasing also comes into that as well, because when you're empathetic, you want to, you want to fix it. You want to, you want to make a difference. You want to problem solve. 
So I think that this idea of service and success does require a really powerful sense of self in order to preserve, right. Patty, to your point, the difference between building a business and being of service, because you can do both, but we conflate it and then minimize it because of our own loss of selves and self-abandonment. And that's a big issue with women, self-abandonment. I think that's a super important point, Lisa. Um, as you're describing your journey, I'm smiling and I'm thinking, oh yeah, I get that completely. Um, I don't know if it's how we're raised, especially in Western culture, or if to Audrey's point, it's really that ancestral, how women have been um, not only raised, but treated over hundreds, maybe thousands of years. And as you're describing your journey, I'm thinking, and look where you are now and look how you've stepped into your sense of self. And that is, and you know, Audrey, you're describing the same thing, especially in terms of physical terms. Mm -hmm. And that is part of our life journey. So it's not unusual. And I, I hope that people listening resonate with what you're saying, because we all have those journeys to go through. Mm -hmm. And you have both stepped into your sense of self, and you'll continue to do so. It's not like you've reached the end of your journey. Right. Great point. I'd love to reach that finish line wherever it is, but I, I, I doubt that that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. I hope it's not a thing because the end of the journey is the end of your life. Right. And that's right. when people look back and they wonder, you know, what did I do? Uh, you know, when I look back, so I'm older than both of you. And so uh, I'm in my 60s. And when I look back at my journey, it certainly has not been easy. I've been a single mom. I've had to raise three children on my own. It's been, there've been a lot of challenges. I always had one goal in mind, which was raise good human beings. And I've done that. And they're, I'm super, super proud of my kids. When I look back to all the different pieces, including the things that were traumatic for me, I, have a, a real sense of having stepped into myself, knowing who I am and knowing what I'm here to accomplish. And that is exactly what I'm hearing each of you describe. Yeah. I also want to acknowledge Patty that um, the experience that I get a, of your journey is that you've you've taken so much in stride. Like I am always in awe when I hear your history and your background, you are unusual. Your courageousness, your bravery, what you've stood for from a young age, being a single mom, raising three incredible humans, having this great business. And I just want to acknowledge the fact that that isn't everyone's journey and that you might not get there until your seventies and maybe that's okay. Maybe it's okay to find yourself wherever and whenever you get to it in life, some people reach that, you know, that coming out of the hero's journey um, earlier on. Uh, but I believe that we will always be going through our own hero's journey over and over and over again. And I, I don't know how you ladies deal with it, but I'll, I'll get clients all the time that come to me and say, I thought I already had this breakthrough. I, I worked on money already. Why am I here again? Um, how, how do you, how do you address that with your clients? So I'm laughing because I hear that all the time. <laughs> um, especially because what I teach around pricing is mechanical. So yes, we work on mindset and we work on how you can detach, um, which goes into your conversation about boundaries. So how you can detach emotionally from how you present your pricing. It's not the mechanics of pricing that is a problem. I can teach how to do that. And that's all my clients get that almost immediately. It's all the other pieces around that. So what has happened and the feedback that I'm getting 
is people who have learned from me how to build a pricing model, how to raise their prices if that's appropriate. Uh, they put all that in place. They start bringing in more money almost immediately. And now the feedback I'm getting is, I thought I conquered my fears. I thought I was much more comfortable talking about all of this. I thought that I learned from your program how to do this and this and this, and I can do the mechanics and the calculations. That's the easy part. But I still find that I'm avoiding conversations or I feel caught off guard when I'm talking to a buyer or I really realize this should be priced higher, but I just can't do it. I just can't. And so I hear that very, very frequently. And then we start drilling down deeper into what's really happening and what their fears are. And when they have a win, so here's what usually happens. We go through this whole process. We drill down deeper. They uh, come back to me with a proposal that they want to share with a buyer. And they'll say, I'm going to price this at $40,000. And let's say it's an 18 month project. And I break it down for them and show them you're essentially working for free. So let me show you what this looks like when we deconstruct it. Okay, so now they get the mechanics of that and they realize they need to raise the price. I'll say, I think it needs to be triple, sometimes more than that. And most of the time they can't go there. And they'll say, well, I could do double. And I take that as a win because I figure they just doubled their price and they're going to find a buyer that, I mean, that's the other thing I teach is where to find your buyers. And they're going to find a buyer that's not going to blink an eye at the fact that that is a double of their original price. And so it's baby steps, right? Of, And then the next time we work on a proposal, I'll recommend they triple it and they'll be more receptive to that because they've had previous wins. So it's a process, but I hear that all the time. It is very common for women and it's a uh, very fear-based. So I don't gloss over that. Um, I also am very empathic. I've felt those fears. I know exactly what my clients are feeling. And I've dealt with a lot of those things and I've helped my clients deal with them. So exactly to your point, it's, it's a process and it is not easy. And I always stress that when people start working with me, this is going to be work and the mindset is important, but the outcome is really fantastic. And they start to see that pretty quickly. Yeah, what occurs to me in that question, too, is just the expectation that people, I think, ha have set in their own minds that there's some sort of, I think that word that you used was conquered. I'm not sure if it was you, Patty, or maybe you both did, Lisa and Patty, you both used the word conquered. I think there is this concept that, like, once we so-called conquer a thing, that somehow magically we just, that's it, right? We've conquered it on to the next and that there's, like, it's a video game level or something. And um and that's just not how it, things work. <laughs> there's not, there's not a like conquering of a thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, we're just more complex as human beings, right? We we're just more complex. And, and I think there is a, maybe an expectation, you know, people come to me often, it's, they're saying words like, you know, calm and pe they want to be calm. They want to be peaceful. They want to be grounded. And there's sort of like this feeling of arrival right? Feeling of concrete, feeling of arrival. Like I want to get to that place. And um, I don't know if that comes from just, you know, fairy tales. Like there's this happily ever after that we just like land on. I don't know. Um, but, you know, it, things are so much more dynamic than that. Um, I, I kind of lost, I had a thread I was on and my brain kind of glitched, but yeah, I, I, I just want to say that like when it comes to navigating these things, like the, ex the expectation of fearlessness is BS. And I think that's something that needs to be like wiped out of people's expectations. There's fearlessness is a problem. Like if you are fearless, 
that's actually an issue. And like, you're probably in danger, right? Like we are supposed to have fear around things that we don't know about or that we've never done before. Or like, even when it comes to raising prices, right? If you've never raised your price that high and you don't know what the experience is of being handed that amount of money, like, sure. Like you're probably gonna have a reaction to that. That makes sense. If you're completely fearless, I'm like, are you okay? Like we, maybe we have to check in and, and check in on you. Um, but you know, being courageous, being brave, being okay, getting on board with being uncomfortable around things. I think those are the conversations I imagine a lot of us are having with our clients. Um, that that is, you know, when we, when they think that there's been, they've overcome a thing and now here it is again. And what does that mean about me? I, one of the things that, um, clients do talk about sometimes with me is this concept of backsliding where they feel like, oh my gosh, this thing happened. And I had this reaction that I thought I'd overcome. And like, I feel like I'm backsliding and I'm like, you, that's normal. This is not, this is not backsliding. You've not like lost ground that now you can never make up again. Right. Cause that's a lot of the stuff when I'm, when I'm working with people and they're starting to kind of have different reactions or have different uh, responses and, and being, you know, again, creating that distance. Um, so I, th I think I just want to like normalize human behavior more for people. Like that's kind of what I want to say is like humans are more complicated and we don't just climb upstairs and have this linear progression that all of a sudden we, you know, conquer a thing and it's over. So that's my long winded, long winded answer. So Audrey, I want to add to that. Uh, first of all, I think that is, it's really brilliant and it needs to be said that um, but what strikes me as you're describing backsliding in particular, a lot of the terminology that we use is based, it really comes from the military. It comes mm. from war. Mm. And think about who waged war. It was the men. <laughs> and we have so much in our language that uh, you were talking about normalizing our experiences and our language. It's not backsliding. Well, I think that's something we also need to be aware of. Words have power. And when we tell ourselves this negative self-talk, I'm backsliding, this I'm somehow not normal. Why is why am I experiencing something nobody else is? Well, first of all, everybody's experiencing the same things you are. They just don't talk about it. That's so true. so that's part of the issue. But the other is that we're using language that isn't our language. It isn't developed by women. It isn't necessarily relevant to our experience. And we continue to use it because it's part of the lexicon. Mm. So that's the other thing I'd like to point out is, you know, when we talk about, well, I didn't pull the trigger mm. or, you know, all of these terms. Conquering. Conquering, exactly. All of those terms come from war. Mm. Lisa, so I'm so wise. curious what you're chewing on over there. <laughs> I you're feel so like wise, Patty. <laughs> I mean, I, I have a lot to say on this topic. My favorite response to clients who bump up against their own expectations of how the process goes is to draw out a picture of, of somersaults. I, I don't have a piece of paper right here, but if you, if you can kind of visualize how some, somersaults go, it's kind of like this, or like a forward slinky motion. That's how breakthroughs work. That's how, that's how change works. I mean, if we think about putting it into, let's say, a, a physical format, when athletes train, they get sore and they feel like they're backsliding. They can't work out for a couple of days because they started hitting limits to their how much their muscles can carry them or, or lift or run. And in that context, it's normal because it's to be expected. But I guess people don't talk enough about the, the hardness of the process of um, creating something you've never created before. I think we are in such a culture of needing to present such a perfect front or such an ideal front. And we don't talk enough about like, hey, I backslid and it's okay. And this is what I'm working on to move forward. Or like, I tried this new method and I'm really sore and I'm taking, you know, a week off and then I'm going to get back on it. We don't, we don't talk about what's behind the scenes. It's a, another facade and another 
block, no pun intended, Patty, another block <laughs> that prevents us from being able to embrace both the success and the service or the um, the success and the hardness of the process or being able to have fear and do it anyways. We don't, we don't talk about it enough. I think that's why communities of, of women, sisterhood, people getting together in masterminds, talking about their stuff and going, oh, it's not just me. Oh, this is actually normal. What if we were to expect that thing to happen? Well, then it wouldn't be so like darn backsliding. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be like surrendering to the enemy and now we're conquered and we have to be suppressed for another thousand years or whatever the military experience is. Um, but in the process of coaching, I, I like to say embrace and welcome breakdowns. Because often the, the backsliding, so to speak, or the confrontation or the facing the ickiness is what helps you move forward. It's what has you grow. It's what has you expand. It's what builds the muscles, the muscles up. And so there's a lot of reframing in what I do when it comes to lifting other women entrepreneurs up. It's almost entirely reframing. And then maybe 10% is... Um, some of the consulting work that Patty, you're much more of an expert in um, than I am. Can you tell us a bit more, Lisa, about you were talking about when the how the spiral works, when they are at a breakdown point, mm -hmm. and that that's how they can move forward. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I guess I'm. In, in most of the reframing that I do, there's almost a, have you heard of the, um, uh, the phrase by Viktor Frankl, in between stimulus and response, there is a space, and in that space lies our power and freedom? Yes. We're both nodding. Yes, <laughs> yes, like, yes, yes. Okay. Listening, we're both nodding. Fantastic. Oftentimes, in that space between stimulus and response, people freak the, the F out. Can I, can I say it? People freak the fuck out. And they're like, oh my God, I'm not moving forward. This is terrible. This is awful. Um, and, the, and the thing is, you have to be in that space and be uncomfortable in order to respond differently. And so when we have a particular neural pathway that we use, like, oh, success is bad. Success means I'm a bad person. Money is wrong. I need to martyr myself. I can't make money. That was my money conditioning growing up. Um, in order to be a good person, I had to serve and not make, so to speak. That was my neuro pathway. In breaking that down and interrupting it, like literally it was a breakdown of that neuro pathway, it was so uncomfortable to sit in that space before I created a new story. So breakdowns aren't necessarily bad. They're just super uncomfortable because there's like Bambi legs of what's next. Like it, your new neuropathway is like so new and so, you know, fragile, not fragile, but, you know, new muscles. It's super uncomfortable. So that's what I mean in terms of um, when you're reframing, you really have to sit in that discomfort to create something entirely new. Although it might not be true for, let's say, doubling or tripling your prices. It could just be, hey, go do that thing. You don't have to have a breakdown and being unsuccessful before you're successful. You can just go out and be successful. So the man behind the curtain has a comment. Ooh, <laughs> bring it. So after the breakdown, because um, I've experienced this before, actually two nervous breakdowns. But what I what I really realized later, what they were, were breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's the pain or whatever you want to attribute to it of the breakdown. But if you don't get stuck there, it becomes that slinky spiral to the next step down, which becomes the breakthrough. Mm -hmm. So this makes me curious because this is where my, my brain was going next. I'm curious maybe what your answer is, John, is what was it that supported your breakthrough once you made it? Externally or internally? Both. Internally, 
my perception was it was a new world and not less than that. That that what there was is um, the world was so much more colorful. The sounds were so much more rich that uh, there was a sense of inner peace that it's like waking up for me, my experience about waking up for a nap from a nap, it's like a new day. And external Yeah, go ahead. And externally the the people that I was around at that time were well, they knew what was going on with me because they expected it. It was a part of this program I was in for seven years of mm-hmm. transformation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I just want to highlight that piece because that was my like having a breakthrough in a vacuum, if you want to bring that breakthrough forward, right? I, that X, those external support systems are so important. Just like Lisa was talking about those Bambi legs. Like I think that uh, speaking from the, the perfectionist uh, camp over here, self and clients, there is this very individualized expectation that like, I got to figure this out myself. It's, mm. a, it's my own thing. I got to do it. I got to figure it out, right? It's, it's like, I don't want to tell anybody else about it. It's my own thing. And I think that that, I just want to highlight what John said. And I imagine this is something that we can all relate to and may, maybe agree on. I, maybe not, but I think probably based on what we do for a living is that it is imperative, I think, to have external circumstances that support these internal changes. Because um, as much as we want to feel that we can like, you know, I'm going to use the word battle, right? Oh, we're going to go to war with this thing. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of external things around us that are difficult enough, right? So when we want to be making more money, when we want to be changing our mindset to be able to serve and make money, or that we want to be um, having these, you know, breakthroughs, breakdowns and transformations, you need people around you who are going to help guide you, especially when, you know, breakthroughs are not guaranteed change, right? not guaranteed, but when you have a community or people or a support system, that's going to keep ushering you in that direction. That's what, that's what creates the, the ultimate shift. So I just want to, and that is, that's partially why I say, and I now realize because I have one that everyone needs a coach. I don't disagree with that. I wouldn't expect you to nobody on this call. Thanks for putting that in there, John. Um, You're welcome. I, I I have many more questions for you, and I. <laughs> what are you ex- and I and I also, uh, you know, I I want to keep moving the conversation forward. But the the thing that I'm most curious about in your share is what had you tune into the breakdown as a breakthrough. Okay, so it's time to come back on screen. I think it's time to come back on screen. And I think this is really important because a, a lot of people will stick to the breakdown and the upset and the and they'll try to force a reframe or force a breakthrough and it, it's not actually authentic. So what's the question again? You had said, and maybe I am no, mistaking no. your phrase, but you had said that you realized that the breakdown was actually the breakthrough. It was such a powerful statement, Mm -hmm. but can you elaborate on what that means, that the breakdown was the breakthrough? Um, Well, there's the context is uh, there was at the time it was happening, but of course, years later, it was kind of reframed into um, actually, in a sense, a trauma. Mm. So, you know what happens with birds when they fly into windows? They smash into the window and they fall to the ground. And then everybody thinks they're dead. And then they start shaking. And they shake themselves out of it. So that's kind of what I experienced during that breakthrough. So there's a little bit of, a little bit of shaking it off. Um, because of a pile of expectations and thoughts about the way it should be. Mm. 
and blame maybe and just a whole lot of feelings um, and core beliefs that that were shaken to my core and like I said at the on the other side it was just peaceful it was clear it was clean and I was extremely empty I just felt empty mm. and it was a you know it's very much like uh, meditation in a sense when you get to that place where there's nothing does that help yeah i i mean th th there's a lot there to unpack yeah we might have to we might have to do a separate episode and breakdowns and breakthroughs well yeah because i was i was looking at the, the release schedule here and uh um, I'm not going to wait. A, we we can't wait another month for an episode. So I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to invite each of you back on to do some one on one. Brilliant. But Wonderful. Keep, Thank you. Yeah, you can keep the conversation going. I hope I didn't derail it. No, I, I think it's well. Personally, please feel free to jump in, Audrey and Patty. Personally, I think it's all it's all connected. Um, and oftentimes, the thing that we fear the most in the breakdown is really not not that deep <laughs> it's like the the chasm that we think is five thousand miles deep is actually five inches hmm. um and that's actually where i thought you were going in terms of breakdown and breakthrough but you know especially when it comes to um you know back to like the money conversation and charging more and um separating our value from our business we have such deep-seated fears around what would happen if we are successful? What would happen if we do raise our prices? What would happen if we do go out and start an empire? And, you know, sometimes we go out and we do that and some bad stuff happens for, you know, some reasons like, you know, relationships fall apart or you have to entirely change your business model. But more often than not, the clients that do go out and decide to, you know what, I'm going to do this scared. I'm going to have my fear and I'm going to do it anyways and raise my prices or whatever it is. That chasm is like five inches deep. And that breakdown is actually the breakthrough. Stepping into that, that fear and that change and maybe losing a client but gaining three more. My experience is there's a whole lot of relief too. Yeah. And without doing that, um, my experience is, is that you can't evolve yourself. I'm sure Patty would have something to say about that. Oh, I, I agree completely. And things that I experienced, um, I now think of as trauma. I didn't at the time. I never considered my divorce a trauma. And yet when I look back on it and how, what a real nightmare it was. I was married to an attorney. It was a nightmare. Mm -hmm. And the difficult journey of raising my children and all of those pieces, I never thought of that as a trauma until probably within the last 10 years, starting to understand that and what it took to get through that. And exactly to your point earlier, Audrey, I didn't do it by myself. I had support externally. I mean, my mom was my rock. Mm -hmm. And I had friends and I had siblings that were, I mean, that's part of what builds your strength is knowing that you have these people who support you and love you and are going to be there for you. And then in turn, I'm there for them. So, Yes, it's absolutely a journey, and it's not an easy journey, and nor is it intended to be. Nobody's journey is easy. And if it is, I love your comment, Audrey, about if you're fearless, something's wrong. Because that fear can be a catalyst for change, and it can really work to our advantage. And so as you were experiencing your journey, John, I'm sure you were feeling afraid, and you dealt with it. And you had a breakthrough. 
And that's true of all of us if we're brave enough to take on those challenges. A lot of people are not. A lot of people can't cope or they have external stressors that don't give them the luxury of being able to cope in a particular way. So I think a lot of this is about tolerance and understanding and meeting people where they are. Yeah, I, I've been kind of chewing on the question of this episode, right, of uh, service and success and how to have both. And um, I feel like it, uh, my answer, my my answer, if I was to be succinct about it, is kind of like it takes a village. <laughs> There's, you know, like it, it, it requires that internal fortitude and it requires that external support. I think that that is... Uh, my very succinct takeaway is that it requires the inner work and it also requires the external outer uh, circumstances, village, people um, to uh, move things forward, even when the, especially when the internal pieces want to say, oh, you know, I thought I wanted to, but I don't know. I'm not sure if I want to do this anymore. And it's like, no, no, no. I mean, I can speak for myself that like my business would not be in existence if it wasn't for some people who were like, you know, no, you're not going to stop. Actually, you you are going to keep going. And this is how we're going to help that happen. So, um, yeah, this is what I want to say. The number one cause of burnout, according to HBR, is loneliness and disconnect. We need our community more so than ever. And if I'll and, and if I can, I'd like to add one more thing to the community being the solution to how to have both. It's like, do the work, expect the fear, expect the stuff to happen and do it anyways. Yeah, and that's also a really succinct takeaway from this conversation. Awesome. I feel like this is such a great place to wrap up. And scene. Yeah. <laughs> we all drive, drop mics and walk away. <laughs> Just drop our mics and walk away. <laughs> so, Patty, I'm kind of curious. Have you ever thought about changing your last name to Unblock? <laughs> you know, it's ironic because I kept that. That's my married last name. And I kept the name for two reasons. One is I didn't want to have a different last name than my kids. Mm -hmm. And because it lends itself to graphics so well. And so I can use blocks and all kinds of plays on words in my business. And so it, it was just so, it was almost a no brainer. So to, what are you telling to, us that was the real reason for your marriage? Uh, no. <laughs> Although I will tell you that that's my, a reframe right there is what that is. Reframe, yeah. <laughs> my last name used to start with a W. So I was always the last people, you know, the last person in the class sitting in the back, which I didn't like. And, you know, graduation, you're the last one across the stage. And so when I was going to marry somebody with a name that was block, I was thrilled because I knew my kids would be sitting up front in their classrooms. <laughs> And now I, ha I can't say that my kids were thrilled by that, but that's how I, you know, I'm a high achiever. And so I always wanted to be in the front of the class. I, I didn't want to be called on necessarily because I don't necessarily like surprises. So, you know, I wanted to control my environment and the situation, but I wanted to be um, available to gain that knowledge and to speak up when I wanted to. And sitting in the back of the class, you kind of feel lost. Interesting. So we have a job to do, which is to uh, come up with a title for next time. Well, Lisa suggested breakdown to breakthrough. What do we think of that? Breakdowns and breakthroughs? Breakdowns and breakthroughs. Yeah. I can talk about both of those oh. in... Lots of details. So yeah, for sure. I launched a, a mastermind in January this year. Um, this is the first time it's been in the works for a while, but it was a hand-selected mastermind of high-achieving women 
that we're allowed to be messy. And so literally all we talk about every time we get together is the breakdowns that we go through to normalize and the breakthroughs on the other side. It is amazing. Perfect. I love that. Well, and I think when we're talking about this, it doesn't have to be in terms of a therapeutic situation, right? It doesn't have to be a life-changing breakdown. It could be something that you thought would work in your business and it didn't work. I've certainly had those experiences where I created whole online programs and then couldn't sell them, yep. right? So maybe that's where we start is those everyday breakdowns and then we continue the conversation to what is a life-changing breakthrough. I love that, Patty. Let's yeah. do that. What she yep, said. Let's do that. Done. I'm just going to follow Patty around and go, that's, you know, what she said. What she said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <Patty's gonna> talk <laughs> I'm on that I'm train go, too. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for your kind words. And Lisa, thank you for your comments earlier. Mm-hmm. It's along the lines, I'll, I'll have what she's having. Exactly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Service and success. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Success. All right. Well, we'll wind it up. I want to remind people that uh, if you go to whathasmyattention.com and uh, in the menu item, there's a link to episodes. And under that are all of the uh, episodes that are Women in Strong Leadership. And of course, all everything we're doing here. And uh, I'm actually really looking forward uh, to bringing some men on. The other thing, and and if you're out there and you like what you hear and you're a man or a woman, just reach out to us, you know. Just go to whathasmyattention.com. You can contact us. And then, Patty, I also want to respond to something you said at the last time, which was, you know, that it would be really great to bring more people on. So maybe you all can have a conversation about that if that's something you want to do. I don't really know. But I, I'm here to support you and, and present you. So, um, yeah, I'm doing what you're doing. And thanks for doing that, John. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, John. Yeah. So and we're I'm gonna... happy to tap into my community, too, and bring some people in. Maybe we'll take it to email and discuss. Yeah. And for everybody out there, once again, you can just uh, go to your podcast app of choice because you can get this podcast anywhere you get your audio. Just do a search for what has my attention. And uh, in the top left of your screen, if that's where you're, you're seeing, you can see the album artwork and you'll know you're home. So once again, Audrey, Lisa, and Patty, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Ooh. Oh that my was, gosh. That Nobody was, cried today. Nobody no, cried today. That. But that was a heavy conversation. That was a big one, yeah. We were all, I, I was staying present for it. That was a lot, a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah, that's good.